Welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It's Thursday, and it's time for the last, at least last for a while, top 10 adventure shows. This one is the Campbell Playhouse. Campbell Playhouse was the second series of dramatic programs that Orson Welles did for radio, first being the Mercury Theater of the Air, and then they switched to a sponsorship by Campbell's Soup, and they called it the Campbell Playhouse. It's from March 17th, 1939. The program for the day is Bo Jest, a very famous film from roughly that same time period. The film starred Gary Cooper, but since Orson Welles was such a vocal genius, he could make anything work, and he decided to play the title role in this since it's his show. But he brings on a, a pretty much uh, all-star cast, as Orson Welles liked to do, including Laurence Olivier and Noah Barry. Orson Welles was two years away from releasing Citizen Kane at this point. I think around this time is when they started working on it. So he was just about to break into the very big time in films, but he was still, at this point, a very big radio personality. So here we go with Bo Jest from the Campbell Playhouse. Makers of Campbell's Soup present The Campbell Playhouse, Orson Welles, producer. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. Tonight, the English star, Mr. Laurence Olivier, fresh from Hollywood where he's been making Wuthering Heights and just over from the Ethel Barrymore Theater where he's been rehearsing with Catherine Cornell in Guthrie McClintock's new production, No Time for Comedy, joins us at the Campbell Playhouse as John Jest in Beau Jest. With him is your favorite villain, Mr. Noah Beery, who will bedevil Mr. Olivier and me in the bloodthirsty person of his original Sergeant Lejeune which Noah Beery made famous in the silent picture version of P.C. Wren's celebrated romance about the Foreign Legion. And finally, just to give the whole business a little authentic support, we've got in a real Foreign Legionnaire to check up on us and meet you after the show. Just now, before we begin, a word from Ernest Chappell. When you go driving along any highway anywhere, you'll see many a restaurant with a sign in front inviting you to stop and have dinner. And most of these signs will say, chicken, a specialty. The reason is obvious. Nearly everybody likes chicken. And that universal liking for chicken, I think, is one of the reasons why Campbell's Chicken Soup has attained such amazing popular favor. But the chief reason, undoubtedly, is the sheer deliciousness of the soup itself. Constantly over the last three years, as one family after another discovered it, the sales of Campbell's Chicken Soup have grown so rapidly that today Campbell's might well say, Campbell's Chicken Soup a specialty. I'll tell you why people like this soup so much. In just one word, it's chicken. Campbell's chicken soup is chicken through and through. There's chicken in the aroma that drifts up from your steaming plate. Chicken gives the broth its good golden color. And there's deep down chicken flavor for your pleasure in every spoonful. 
Chicken meat, too, melting tender pieces of it, along with fluffy white rice. And so, as sure as you like chicken, you'll like Campbell's chicken soup. I sincerely urge you to try this soup, and if you thought that there could be another chicken soup as good as homemade, I believe one taste of Campbell's chicken soup will change your mind. If you doubt this, won't you give it a trial? Won't you at your house serve Campbell's chicken soup, tasting it critically this weekend? And now for Morocco and the Foreign Legion, Orson Welles, Lawrence Olivier, and Noah Beery in Beaugest. You remain 30 minutes rest. And prepare to advance in open order to relieve Fort in the net. Yes, sir. Dismount! Adjutant. Yes, sir. Adjutant, you have seen war in the desert. Does anything here strike you as strange? Well, sir, if you want to know the truth... Yes? I don't like it, sir. There's something about that fort. Seems strange not to hear a sound out of them. Think they'd be cheering the relief force. They may not have seen us. The sun is behind us. Trumpeter. Yes, sir. Sound the regimental call. Yes, sir. No answer. Do you think it's an Arab trap? I don't think so, sir. That's not the way the Arabs work. Courage and cruelty I've seen in them, but nothing like this. Adjutant, let me have your glasses. Here you are, sir. See anything, sir? Yeah. Flags flying. Men at their places along the wall. Rifles level. It's strange, sir. Not an Arab in sight. Yes. When the bugle sounded, not one of them moved. Did you notice that? How about the lookout platform, sir? Trouble that. Yes, sir. Once more, the call. Your adjutant. You take a look. Thank you, sir. See that man at the corner of the wall over on the right? Yes, sir. He's got a bullet hole in the middle of his forehead. He has, sir. And a trickle of blood down his face. Still he stands there, propped up against the wall with the others, staring down the muzzle of his rifle. Those men are dead. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask for a volunteer to ride alone into Fort Zindernet. Step forward. It's a hard thing to ask, Major. A fort full of dead men. Any volunteers? Major. Yes, Trumpeter? I'll go, sir. Good. Get in as best you can. Once you are in, sound the call. Yes, sir. Brave man. Have you a watch with you? Yes, Major. Is that all? That is all. If I haven't heard from you within 15 minutes, I will order a charge. Yes, sir. And good luck. Thank you, sir. That was the last time they heard him speak. They saw him ride towards the fort, picking his way among the dead Arabs. They saw him stop under the wall of Fort Zindernev. They saw him look up at the dead faces of the men on the wall. 
They saw him climb up on his horse's saddle and hoist himself up. Then he disappeared. A little before the 15 minutes were over, they saw a small dark cloud in the blue sky over the fort. At first, it seemed like dust. As it grew heavier and started to swirl, they saw that it was smoke. Just before the fort burst into flames, they thought they heard the sound of a bugle playing a strange call. That man, the trumpeter, was my brother. There were three of us, and I am the only one alive. My name is John Jest. Here is our story. It begins in England at Brandon Abbas in Herefordshire. Here we were brought up by our aunt, Lady Brandon. Her dead sister's three boys, Michael, Digby, John. And her own daughter, a little girl called Isabel. Michael was the captain, our hero and leader. Lady Brandon's favorite nephew. As a child, because of his looks, she called him Beau. Beau Jest. And the name stayed with him. Digby was the lieutenant. He was Beau's twin, smaller and a quarter of an hour younger. I was a year younger. Their mascot and their obedient slave. There was a game we used to play in the lily pond at Brandon Abbas. It was called Naval Engagements. It was played with two toy boats each crowded with lead soldiers and bearing three brass cannon loaded with buckshot. Is your ship ready, Lieutenant? Ready, Captain. Light the fuses. Ready? Go. Hey, only one of my guns are firing. Must be improper fusing. No battle. Fetch him in, John. Aye, aye, Captain. You better touch your trousers up, John. Mind you don't lose any men overboard. I've got them. Oh! What happened? Stop making faces and come here. Ooh. Be quiet, Isabel. Don't look at it. Let me see, John. Is the bullet inside his leg? How does it feel, John? Just like being shot. I'm going to be sick. What are you going to do with your knife, though? Going to cauterize the wound, Captain, and prevent it turning septic? No. Naval surgery without anesthetics. Cut out the cannonball. First, I have to sterilize the knife. Now, John, will you be gagged or chew on a bullet? I don't want to be disturbed by your beastly yells. I shan't yell, Captain. Sit on his head, Digby. No. Hold his hoof, then. <gasps> Isabel, hide your eyes and keep still. Is the bullet out, yet? Oh, almost. Hold him still, Digby. Here it comes. Yeah. How do you feel now, John? I feel all right. I'm going to confer a new name on you for bravery. Stand up, Digby, and salute. John Jest? Because you didn't cry when wounded in battle and didn't yell during a major operation of naval surgery without anesthetics, I now give you the rank and title for the rest of your life of Stout Fella. Oh, thank you, Captain. I say, Captain, do you think we could manage a Viking's funeral? Right you are, Lieutenant. Stout Fella, you have also earned high honor of a full-dress Viking's funeral. We can use my boat because that's the one that shot him. Right, and one of my soldiers. John, you may choose the one you want to be. I'd like to be one of the new blue ones. If it's all right, Captain. Uh, hand me one, Dig. I now solemnly name this valorous soldier the Viking Earl, John Jest. Now, put him on a matchbox filled with explosives, Dig. I'm building a pyre of matches around it on the deck, too. You can use my china dog if you want to. Good girl, Isabel. A dog at his feet. You sit here, John. Stand up, everyone else. Hats off. Ready, Digby? Lighter. 
now. Shove her way out. There she goes. I can still see the Viking in the center. That's what I call a funeral. I'd give something to have one like that when my turn comes. What's more, I'll write it down in my will. None of you dirty little dogs will get anything from me unless you see it properly done. I'll give you one, Bo, whenever you like. So will I you, Dig, if you die first. Shake on it, Captain. Shake. Blow your bugle, Digby. Most of the other great moments of my childhood were connected with a fabulous and historic jewel owned by Lady Brandon, the Blue Water Sapphire. It had been in the family for several generations. Often people came to see the sapphire, princes, diplomats, jewel merchants from every corner of the globe. I remember the last time I saw it. We were home for the Christmas holiday. I was 18 then. Bo and Digby were at Oxford and I was in my last year at school. On Christmas Eve, we persuaded Lady Brandon to get out the blue water for us to look at. Just the family, Bo, Digby, myself and Isabel. Well, there it is, children. Golly. Beauty, isn't she? Remember the Indian Maharaja who fainted dead away when he saw it? And it took 20 minutes to revive him. <laughs> no wonder. It still makes me dizzy. I thought we'd never get rid of him. He kept coming back to see it again three or four times, wasn't it, Aunt? Never mind the Maharaja. Look at the blue water. Seems to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Makes you want to dive into it head first and just disappear inside it. I'm almost scared of it. I say, what oh, the what's oh, happened? What's no. happened to the light? Now, don't wander about anybody. Knock things over. <laughs> the lights will go on again in a minute. They always do. It's something to do with the new power station. But aren't this the third time it's happened this week? Why doesn't somebody get a candle? It's pitch black. Oh, that's ah. it. I hope they stay on. Auntie, look. Look. It's gone. Good. Whoever did this, please put it back. It's not funny. You suppose it fell on the floor? It was under the glass cover. Whoever took the blue water, please put it back at once. John? Why do you accuse me? You were nearest the table. Oh, John, nobody accused you. Put the beastly thing back. Me? I didn't take it. Oh, why don't you put it back? Whoever did take it. Let's not keep on pretending. We shall all go to bed now. This room will be locked. But the key to it will be left in the little brass box in the hall. Only you four will know where it is. The thief will have a chance during the night to replace the sapphire without revealing his identity. If the blue water is not here in the morning, the police will be called in. No one will be spared, no matter who it is. But the next morning, we found the jewel had not been returned. Only Digby and Isabel and myself were at breakfast. Bo didn't appear. Lady Brandon sent down word that no one was to leave the house. She hadn't sent for the police yet, but we expected she would any minute. It was a strange morning, wandering about the house, each of us keeping to himself, waiting for something to happen. Around noon, I went into the library. Johnny. Yes, Isabel? Will you tell me something? Certainly. What? It's a silly question. Terribly silly. I... Oh, I know it's silly. Well? Johnny, 
Did you take the blue water? Why, no, I didn't. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, I shouldn't have asked it, Johnny, but I wanted to hear you say it yourself. Isabel, you're crying. Oh, forgive me for asking. Isabel, what's the matter with you? Isabel, do stop crying. I can't help it. I can't help it. Johnny, I love you. Darling. Darling. I wish I knew what to say, darling. Isabel, someday we'll get married, won't we? Yes. When I've scraped together a little money and um, proved somehow the, that I, I'm worthy. Uh, please kiss me, Isabel. Uh, oh. Oh. Hello, Digby. Isabel, my dear. Excuse me, could I talk to John alone for a few minutes? I've something rather important to say to him. Yes, of course. I'll go. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, darling. What are you being so melodramatic about, Digby? Something Isabel can't hear. Beau's gone. How do you know? He left this note. By the time you get this, I shall be well on the way to where I'm going. Please tell Aunt there's no further need to badger any of you about the blue water. If Scotland Yard is put on the trail, tell him you knew I contracted large debts at Oxford. I must have been led away. I must have been led astray by evil companions. You and John, of course. Keep an eye on John. My best to you both. Ever yours, Beau. It can't be true. Of course it isn't true. I can't believe it. Not a Beau. Things like an open book. He's taking the blame. But who is he shielding? Perhaps he doesn't know. Look, if Beau didn't do it, then maybe I did it. You didn't, did you? Well, neither did you. Or Isabel. Oh, of course not. It's ridiculous. Exactly. John, we can't let him do it. It'll break Lady Brandon's heart. You know how she adores him. Well, what do we do? Well, nothing for the moment. And say nothing. I'll speak to you later. I've got an idea. That evening, when I went to bed, I found a note on my pillow in Digby's writing. Dear John, I've come to the conclusion that I can no longer let the innocent suffer for my guilty sin. By the time you get this, I shall be well on my way to where I am going. Will you please tell Aunt that Beau's noble and beautiful gesture was a lot of nonsense and that I'm the real thief? Tell her that by the time she gets this... I paced my room for three hours. Then I started to pack. As the dawn came up, I tiptoed out through the kitchen door. Through the dim morning, I walked to the station and boarded the first train. My darling, beautiful sweetheart, when you read this letter, you will be the first to agree that I cannot possibly do anything except what I am doing, although it may mean, for a time at least, being away from you, my dearly beloved, just when we have found this miracle, our love, Isabel, dear. May I speak with the officer in charge, please? Yes, what do you want? Are you the recruiting officer, sir? I am. 
Could you tell me, sir, if any Englishman... What is this? What happens in England? Does the British Empire suddenly export all our most excellent young men to Paris to enlist in the French Foreign Legion? Then there have been others. Two others this week. Well, where can I catch up with them? Where can I find them? You mean if you are accepted into the Legion? Oh, you've got to accept me. What, what do I do? Well, uh, first the physical examination. For that, for you, that will be easy. But uh, you know what you're doing? Of course. Listen to me, young man. In the beginning of volunteer enlist for five years... His pay is one sou a day. The discipline is hard. Harder than that of any army in Europe. If a man deserts from a legion, he is shot. Think it over, young man. Think it over. They accepted me. I signed a paper and I was a soldier of France. Name, John Smith. Foreign legion. 103762. A week later, I was in Iran in Africa... Then on to an inland town, some 20 of us on foot. into a long shed-like building. Our heads were shaved, uniforms and kit issued to us. I picked up my things and went to the barrack room to which I'd been assigned. Two men were sitting side by side on a bench, their hands in their pockets, pipes in their mouths. Well, well, enter the third robber. Bo, Digby, how wonderful to see you. I was afraid I mightn't catch up with you. Oh, my poor, dear, idiotic, mad booby. What the devil do you think you're doing here? Fleeing from justice, Bo. What about you? Same thing. And you, Dig? Who, me? Well, well, to tell you the truth, I'm fleeing from justice. Did you bring the sapphire with you, John? Uh, no, no, I didn't bring it with me. Careless. Did you bring it, Bo? Yes. You too, Digby? Oh, never travel without my sapphire. I suppose one of us three has got it. Two of us. What are you going, to, are you going to do with it now? Carry it about with me. That's old kangaroo custom. They carry about their young and their money and things in a sort of bag, you know, in front, accessible. I keep it on me night and day. Got to kill the man before you can rob him. There we go. We've got to line up for inspection. Inspection? I just arrived. Well, that's not too soon for Lejeune. Who? Collar Sergeant Lejeune. Charming man. From now on, you're a commanding officer. Hey, Frank! Frank, Chris! Steady. Frank. Ah. So, a new company of jailbirds, eh? Ah, why couldn't you go to the prison instead of coming here to waste my time? Well, I'll make you wish you hadn't come near the Legion. I'll make you wish you were never born. Let's see what we have here. You. What's your name? Schwartz. Say, sir, when you speak to me. Now, how about you? Who are you? Uh, my name's Hank. Uh, Hank Locker, come from Chillicothe. Uh, Any more silence, insolence from you? I'll tie your wrist to your ankles and the small of your back. Okay, sir. And what's your name? Smithson. Oh, another English boy, eh? Let's see your hands. I thought so. Soft as pancakes. Never done a stroke of work in your life, eh? Well, I'll harden those for you. I'll manicure you before I die. Sir, Silence! I... Open your mouth again and I'll close it with my boot. 
Now then, you all may look like scum, but before I'm through with you, you'll be soldiers. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I'll make soldiers out of you if I have to kill you. Now, beginning tomorrow, we'll drill and march. You hear me? Drill and march. Through the following weeks, we marched almost without ceasing, day after day. I can still feel the movement of my bare oiled feet in my leather shoes. We wore no stockings in the Legion. Our second month, we marched 500 miles, 30 miles a day with rifles under a heavy pack. Faster! Faster, gentlemen! You're soldiers now! Under my command! And under my command, you'll march! Hey, you! Schwartz! Yes, Sergeant. Keep that cap on your greasy head. Of the sweat, sir. Well, what would you rather do? Sweat or croak? Hey, you! You pray. Hey, where do you think you're going? Fall out of line once more, and you'll carry an extra 20 pounds of sand in your pack. Now go on. Get back into place. Run! Corporal. Yes, Sergeant. When we make camp tonight, see that our friend Dupre gets his rest. But first, give him 25 lashes, and then let him do sentry duty till midnight. And after that, uh, Private Dupre, you can have your rest. Uh, you pray. I can't. I can't. How many? Halt! About. Face! Ah. Now then, pigs. Lying before you here, you see a gentleman who wanted his rest now. And I'll show you how we wake him up in the Legion. You pray. Get up. Get up. Ah, perhaps a boot in the ribs will help. Sergeant. Yes, Englishman. Well, what is it? My brother and I will carry him if he comes. And the Legion, every man for himself. If he doesn't want to march, he can stay here. Now, don't you worry about your prey. He won't be alone here for long. The vultures will keep him company. All right. Detail. Bow. Face. Forward. Double time. Hike. You are listening to the Campbell Playhouse presentation of Beau Jest, starring Orson Welles with Lawrence Olivier and Noah Beery. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Ernest Chappell, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming you back to the Campbell Playhouse. In a moment or two, we will resume our Campbell Playhouse presentation of Beau Jest. To many of us, myself included, Beau Jest is one of the greatest adventure stories of our day. But I wonder how many of us know, too, that its title, Beau Jest, has a second meaning. In French, Beau Jest means beautiful gesture. And as the story unfolds, we'll see how well it fits its title. Isn't it true that in our daily lives it's the little touches, the perfect gestures, if you will, that enhance our joy of living? Take the matter of dining well, for instance. 
The reputation a hostess enjoys is usually built by a combination of many gracious acts on her part and by the correct choice and careful preparation of the foods she serves. It's the realization of how important her food selection really is that has led me to suggest specifically from time to time the service of soup. Not alone for family meals, but always when company comes. It contributes much toward making company dinners real occasions. I'm so confident you like Campbell's soups, I urge you to serve one of them the next time you entertain to find out for yourself how heartily everyone will approve your choice. And now we resume our Campbell Playhouse presentation of Beau Jest, starring Orson Welles with Laurence Olivier and Noah Beery. In the Legion, there were many conflicting reports as to what particular job we were being trained for. Some said a border demonstration, peaceful penetration with the bayonet. Others talked of a far-flung uprising of all the Arab nations from the Atlantic Ocean to the Persian Gulf. Meantime, we drilled and drilled, marched and marched. Then one day came bad news. We were to be separated. Digby remained as trumpeter with the regiment in Jagadir. Bo and I, with the second company, were detailed to the worst section in the North African service, Fort Zindanov, 400 miles away. It was May when we set out, with Lejeune, now adjutant, in command. It took us three weeks to reach it. In the file beside me as we marched was the American, Hank. Hey. Hey, son. Yes? I want to tip you boys off to something. Oh? You being one of them Britishers, well, I figure... Well, you mean okay anyways. Oh, thank you. Just want to tell you, there's a lot of conspiracies around this company. Now that we're getting away from civilization, things may start popping. You don't say? Yeah. Mostly they all have to do with you boys. How do you mean? Well, it's none of my business, of course. Boys got it figured out. You three brothers are a gang of international thieves. What? Yeah, hold your horses, son. Just telling you what they're saying. Seems they heard you fellas talking about some diamonds you got hidden away. They heard how one of you carries it like a kangaroo in a pouch on his stomach. They mean to get it, even if they have to knife you for it. And in case you don't know, one of the guys that has his eye on that diamond of yours is our new adjutant, Monsieur Lejeune. At Fort Zindanev, we drilled all day in the sun. Lejeune saw to that. As for the nights, all we could do was to pretend that they were cooler than the days. The second month, desert fever took us. Cockroach fever, men call it, because it crawls through the brain. Comes over a man suddenly, and he goes stark raving mad with the heat. Already three of the men had had to be put in solitary confinement. In the bed next to my brother slept a German named Schwartz. One night, about two hours after lights out, my brother woke suddenly. There was a hand on his shoulder. Hey. Hey there. Hello, Schwartz. What do you want? Why don't you sleep? I want to talk with you. Are you enjoying life here at Sendermeth? Oh, quite, quite. You would like a change? I like change. Would you like, perhaps, to see again the civilized world? You and your brother and that precious diamond of yours? I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Tell me, have you ever seen a pig die? No. You will. You feeling ill? 
You're not funny. Soon you will see a big pig die. A sacred pig. An adjutant pig. So? And are you the butcher, Schwartz? That depends. So many wish the privilege. Would you? Are you with us? Mutiny? No. We kill a swine. I have no experience as a pork butcher. Then uh, must we conclude that you wish to join the animals that are to be slaughtered? You must decide. This pig or butcher. You must decide soon. You think about it. We decide tomorrow with your brother. Tomorrow we must know. Understand? Yes. Yes. Remember, you must decide. Pig or butcher. It was noon of the next day before my brother could talk to me. He waited for me outside the canteen. Can they hear us here? No, go ahead, Bo. Be quick. Well, let's figure this out, John. A mutiny here at Sindenov. What would that mean? Suppose they succeeded. They'd have to escape across several hundred miles of desert. Right. Problems, starvation, thirst, the heat of the desert, maybe getting killed by Tuareg robbers. Just mutilated. Right, and left the over-anxious vultures. Here's something else. I keep thinking of what your American friend said about the blue water. What's the main reason Schwartz and his gang want us along? I'll tell you. So that after we've helped them with a the mutiny, they can do away with us in the desert and get this diamond they think we've got. I hadn't thought of that. Once more, there are those anxious vultures. Once more. Now, something else. Suppose Lejeune, another diamond lover, is smarter than the mutineers think. Suppose he has his spies. Suppose he knows of this plot. Then what? Then the mutineers play right into his hands. Exactly. That's what he's waiting for. He has every one of us shot down, helps himself to the blue water, and gets a medal into the bargain. And leaves us once more to the... We keep on ending up with those unpleasant birds. Yes. Well... What do we do? Nothing. Wait. Just wait. I'll tell Schwartz now that we're not interested, but watch him day and night. Beginning tonight, you and I had better take turns sleeping. First you sleep, then I'll sleep, then you sleep, then I'll sleep, you see? For two days and two nights, nothing happened. It was hotter than ever. Every morning as I looked into the men's eyes, I saw the desert fever rising, burning more brightly. The third night, I couldn't sleep. I lay in bed thinking of our years at Brandon Abbott's, thinking of Isabel. I wondered if I'd ever get back to her and England. Fever-ridden men sleep fitfully. I lay awake listening to them. Just before the dawn, I became aware of a man standing at the end of the room. He had me covered with his revolver. Get up. Quick. One sound out of you and I'll shoot. Go on. Get up and come here. And march. Ahead of me. Go to my room. Huh. Now, let's see it. Come on, let's see it. See what? The diamond. Did you hear me? That is no diamond, Lejeune. No? I know better than that. I'll tie you out in the desert. You and your brother with your hands in the small of your back. Your mouth full of salt and sand. Then we'll see if you've got a diamond... Ah, uh, but that'll keep. Right now, there's work to be done. Do you want to live? On the whole, I think so. On the whole, you do, do you? All right, then. Now, listen to me. I know all about this mutiny. 
as I know everything else done and said and thought in this fort. And I know who's in it. Schwartz, Bolladere, Muldany, Vogue. And I'm going to attend to it now, tonight. You hear? Well, answer me. I hear you. Well, say so then. Now, you'll go back with me to that barrack room. First, wake up your brother. Get your rifles, yours and his. I'll stand at the door and cover you. You go from bed to bed and take every rifle. If any man speaks, don't answer him. If any man moves, shoot him, as a mutineering dog should be shot. You understand? I understand. Make a sound or a false move, you'll be the first that dies. All right. If you want to live, move. In the first glimmer of dawn, I did as he told me. I woke my brother. There were no sentries posted that night, nobody to challenge us. We went from room to room, disarming the men as they slept. We carried their rifles upstairs, stacked them all on the flat roof. And all the time, Lejeune had us covered. All right. Put those rifles down here. Ah. Now, down in number three, there are eight men there. Get their guns. Bring them up here. That's the lot. And then I have got a little surprise for Mr. Schwartz and his friends when they get up this morning. <laughs> yeah. What are you waiting for? Go on down. What's the matter with you? Can't you hear what I tell you? Adjutant. What are you staring at? Listen. All right. If that's what you want, I... Shut up, you fool. Listen. Do you hear it? The Arabs. You, get back those rifles. Yes, sir. Quick. And you. Yes, sir. Down to the barracks room. Bugler. Bugler. Sound the alarm. Every man to battle position. Quick. Don't attack. Arabs. All right. Towards noon, the Arabs retired. They fell back as suddenly as they'd come. The attack was over. But all afternoon, the Arabs kept up a desultory fire. Every now and then, a man was hit. Undercover! Haven't you got any sense? Corporal, take that man downstairs. Give him first aid. Be back in five minutes, you hear? Yes, sir. Schwartz! Schwartz! Yes, sir. Come up here. Up on the wall. Yes, sir. Look out there toward the oasis. Tell me, what do you see? They're climbing the tree, sir. They're shooting down at us from the trees. Exactly, Mr. Schwartz. They are shooting at us from the trees. Now, uh, uh, we'll have to get those Arabs down from those trees, won't we, Mr. Schwartz? Yes, adjutant. All right, Mr. Schwartz. Now... You climb up to that high lookout platform. But actually, and you... from there, you'll get a good shot at those Arabs. Please, you can't Until they get you. Up! But actually, get up that... there, I tell you! Go on, or I'll shoot you myself. That's it. Go on up. 
And while you're up there, maybe you can think up some more plots. Go on. Get up there. soldier. Just died for the Republic, eh? <laughs> yeah, and one mutineer less. Now well, then, mutineer number two. Bolliter. Yes, sir. Yeah, you're next. Yeah. Yes, sir. Get up on that platform, Mr. Bolliter. Go on. Climb. The firing ceased altogether. And that night, in the little drill yard by torchlight, a roll call was held. Harmony! Hank! Hank! Harperell, call the roll. Dubois? Yes, sir. Smith? Yes, sir. Boldini? Bolida? Renardi? Lafarge? Schwartz? Jacoby? Yes, sir. Out of 98 that morning, there were 46 of us left. That was the first day. The nearest relief post was Jagadir. It would be three days before help could come from there. In the morning, the Arabs would attack again. If they knew our real numbers, they'd scale the walls and cut us to pieces in a minute. That night, once more, Lejeune put us to work. Here, you Englishman. Come up here. Help me with this. Yes, sir. I don't trust those others. Ah, pick him up with the shoulders and the legs. But he's dead, sir. Sure. They get heavy when they're stiff, don't they, eh? <laughs> now, come on. Up the stairs with him. Yes, sir. Onto the parapet. What are you going to do? How do you think? Put them to work, you idiots. No good when they're alive. Perhaps now that they're dead, they'll be of some use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we are. Prop him up against the wall. Push him against the parapet. That's it. That's it now. Straight up. Eyes front. Put his cap on his head. Now, give him a rifle. That's right. Sight it. <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, friend Schwartz. Now you look quite a useful soldier for a change. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, come on, you two. Let's get another one. Yes, sir. Uh, bring him up here. Fill the next embrasure with him. Rifle in his hand. Cap on his head. Yes, sir. Uh, 38 of them. One in each embrasure. Ah, uh, and tomorrow when the Arabs attack, they'll think we've got a real garrison here. <laughs> <laughs> It worked. The next morning, the Arabs attacked again, but they kept their distance. All day, their fire poured into the fort, 
and inside a handful of desperate men ran from parapet to parapet, shooting over the dead men's shoulders. Whenever a man fell, Joan would pick him up and put him back in his place on the parapet. He seemed to take a ghoulish delight in arranging them and sighting their rifles and putting their caps on straight. Once or twice, he lit cigarettes for the dead men. Cigarettes gradually burned till they were spent in the dead men's mouths. But it worked. At the end of the day, they withdrew beyond the sand hills. There were 13 of us left. And now, my merry friends, before we go to sleep, we're going to have a little celebration. Yeah, just the few of us. We'll celebrate what a good time we're having. <laughs> we let the Arabs hear us. We let them see how little we need to worry. How gay we are. Ah, we're going to laugh. Laugh, I tell you. <laughs> Al, do you hear me? Laugh. Ah, that's it. Al, come on, you. Now from left to right. Laugh. Louder, damn you. Laugh, I say. In the middle of the silent quadrangle of dead men standing guard, we celebrated for hours until we lay back exhausted on the stone roof of the fort. Late that night, Bo dragged himself near me. Got a cigarette, John? Just two, here. Looks like the last lap, Johnny. Last cigarette. Last nothing. The relief is halfway here by now. I hope so. John, if I die and you don't, why don't you do something for me? Of course, Bo. There are two letters in my pocket and a small package and a money belt around my waist. One letter's a sort of public letter, the other's... How this for Lady Brandon. Packages for her, too, only the package isn't really important. The letter is important, though. Whatever you do, swear you give her that letter. Oh, don't talk like that. You're not going to die. Maybe I'll die. Maybe we'll both die. Maybe neither of us will. I don't know, Johnny. Just feel it in my bones. Johnny, will you swear? Of course I will. Good. Well, goodbye, dear old Johnny. Wish to heaven I hadn't dragged you into this, but I think you'll come out all right. Give my love to Dig, will you? Here's a bill. I hope someday you two will be very happy. In the morning, the, fight had started, the fighting started again. The same tactics again, running along the walls, shooting dead men's guns. By noon, there were only seven of us left. Two hours later, there were only four. Each took one more. We ran like men possessed, shooting, running, shooting, running. We never looked at each other. It was late in the afternoon when I saw the bow had fallen. He lay there under the north wall, motionless, and I couldn't get to him. After that, I can remember nothing until it was night. Then suddenly my brain cleared, and I saw Lejeune bending over Bo's body, fumbling at his belt. <laughs> went wild, but my bayonet went straight through his heart. He fell dead on his back. 
I sank down on the stones. Then for the first time I realized that Beau was not yet dead. It was because of him that Lejeune's shot went wild. He had reached out and seized Lejeune's foot, jerking, jerking him off balance as he pulled the trigger. Stout fellow, John. Got the letters? You'll deliver them yourself, Bo. No. We two are the only survivors. The relief will be here soon. Listen, Johnny. I'm for it, all right. I'm, I'm bled white. But listen. I never stole anything in my life. Tell Dig I said so. Johnny, do get the letter home. Bo. Wait. Look, Bo. I... Look, I, I, I've got some brain. No, 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 Johnny. Now, listen. Those letters... One's a confession. No need for you and Dick to carry on with the game now, and you must get the confession published. It's all spoiled and... You've got nothing to confess, Bo. Don't be an ass, Johnny. It's the living we have to think about. Leave the confession where it'll be found. Uh, Johnny, I'll haunt you. I'll gnaw your neck and go boo in the dark. No, don't go. Come here, Johnny. Johnny. I'm going blind. John. John, where are you? Promise. Confession. John. John, wake up. Listen. You've got to listen. <sighs> wake up. Try hard. Where am I? Where's Bo? This is Digby. Digby, do you hear? You're in the fort at Vindenerf. Bo's dead. <sighs> and you've killed Lejeune. Good thing, too. But the Legion won't look at it that way. <sighs> We've got to escape quickly. Digby, how did you get here? Relief squadron from, from Jagadir. We heard there'd been an attack. We came up to the walls and saw the dead men looking out. They wanted the man to go into the fort alone. I volunteered. They're outside there now. If I don't give the call within 15 minutes, they'll charge. We, we, we've only got five minutes left. Where's Bo? Where's Bo? On his bed downstairs. Come, John. Before we go, there's something we've got to do. You know what he'd have wanted. A Viking's funeral. Yeah, that's right. We promised that day at Brandon Abbott. Now, quick, help me. I've piled wood around him and sprinkled oil on the wood and all over the barracks. It's all ready. There's just one more detail. Get up, John, quick. What are you doing? Remember, a Viking's funeral needs a dog. Don't you remember? A dog at the feet of the captain. Well, there's a dog. Lejeune. Dig. Have you gone mad, too? Harry, we haven't time to lose. Help me. He wanted a full Viking's funeral. He'll get it. We dragged the body of Lejeune down the stairs to the barrack room and laid it at Beau's feet. Digby knelt down and struck a match. As he threw the match toward the bed, we raced back up the stairs. A moment later, the flames leaped high into the air.
As we left the burning fort, we heard the cavalry coming up behind us. In the confusion of the fire, we escaped, heading west towards the coast. Five weeks later, I saw the sea. Digby was dead, shot by a stray bullet from a marauding Arab. Almost a year went by before I reached England. I fulfilled my promise to Beau. The public letter was a sort of confession, saying that he alone had stolen the blue water sapphire. That was nonsense, of course. His lie had long outlived its purpose. The other note, the one to Lady Brandon, she read aloud to us, to Isabel and me. As she read, I seemed to hear the voice of Beau himself. Beau smiling and talking to us across all those miles from that land of the dead. From Zindanerd. Dear Auntie, when you get this, I shall be dead. You've read it through. Perhaps you'll forgive me for doing what I thought was best. You see, I thought I was doing something that might in some measure repay you for your great goodness to me and to my brothers. My dear aunt, I knew you'd sold the blue water to the Maharaja in order to keep the estate going, for our sake and for the sake of the tenants. I also knew you were frightened that the sale would become known, for technically you had no right to sell the jewel which was left you in trust. I knew you'd had a duplicate made, and I kept thinking how splendid it would be if we had a jewel robbery and the blue water substitute was stolen. You could put Scotland Yard on the trail of the burglar, and as long as it didn't catch him and recover the sapphire, everything would be splendid. And everything would have turned out fine, too, if those incredible brothers of mine hadn't gone and bolted to a possibility that never occurred to me. Well, I hope my idea did work in part anyway, and that your secret has been kept. How can we ever repay all that you did for us? My love to you and to the others too, and all the happiness in the world to John and Isabel, your nephew, Beaugest. This concludes the Campbell Playhouse presentation of Beau Geste by Percival Christopher Wren. In just a moment, Orson Welles will be back to introduce the evening's guests of honor. But first, a word from the makers of Campbell's soups. A little while ago, I asked you to try Campbell's chicken soup, to compare it with the best homemade chicken soup you can remember. I invite you to do this because I believe that tasting Campbell's, you'll decide it is equally delicious, perhaps even better. Because first of all, Campbell's recipe is a tried-and-true old-fashioned one. And second, because even the best of home cooks are amazed at the way Campbell's use all the good meat of the selected plump chickens to fill this soup with chicken flavor. And Campbell's simmer the broth long and slowly so that it comes to your plate with deep, full chicken flavor in every drop. They put in tender pieces of chicken, too, and snow-white rice to add to your eating pleasure. I know if you'll try Campbell's chicken soup you'll be delighted to find it so deep and rich in chicken flavor, such a heartwarming, homey kind of soup. And I know you'll be delighted, too, to realize that here, conveniently and economically, is a great chicken soup whenever you want it. Won't you pick a meal this weekend to get acquainted with chicken soup as Campbell's make it? And now, here is Orson Welles. <laughs> 
Lawrence Olivia needs absolutely no introduction to uh, either stage or movie audiences on either side of the Atlantic. In presenting him to you, I'd simply like to say how very nice it was to have him with us at the Campbell Playhouse. And here he is, Mr. Lawrence Olivia. Thank you, Orson Welles. It has been a very pleasant experience, and one I hope that we may repeat someday. I hope so, too. Our other guest star, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Noah Beery, was representing the forces of evil uh, on stage and on screen when I was in my cradle, and that goes to Mr. Olivia, too. I needn't tell you now that you've heard him how fortunate we were in having him with us to play his old role of Sergeant Lejeune. <laughs> it was my favorite role, and I was delighted at the chance of playing it again and playing it, as a matter of fact, under conditions of considerably greater comfort than the last time. Yes. You see, uh, when we were in the desert there making the silent picture, we worked for 15 weeks out in that old Arizona sun with 1,500 men and as many head of horses, mules, and camels. Now, I don't know what Morocco was like, but it couldn't have been much hotter than that old desert. Well, it isn't, I can assure you of that. <laughs> and uh, perhaps now would be the time to produce the man who can tell us all about the life that you lead in a real foreign legion fort. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Olivier and Mr. Pierre. I could meet Mr. Alphonse de Redonnet, formerly Private de Redonnet of the Legion. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mr. de Redonnet, I'm almost afraid to ask this question, but after hearing tonight's play, would you say it was anything like your experiences in the Legion? I would say the play has caught the spirit of the Legion very well. Right. It is also true, I'm afraid, that the non-commissioned officers, like Sergeant Lejeune in the play, were stern disciplinarians. They had to be with such men under them. Still not as uh, savage as Mr. Beery, perhaps? Not quite. <laughs> Good. I know it's a breach of Legion etiquette to ask this, Mr. de Redenay, but why did you join the Legion? Oh, I was 16 years old and wandered adventure, so I left my home in Alsace, went to Paris, lied about my age to the recruiting officer, and was shipped off to Africa for five years. And did you enjoy it? Well, it was what I wanted, adventure. Good. It was not a bad life, but when my five years were up, I decided to leave Africa and come to the United States. And what are you doing now, Mr. de Redney? I'm the head barber at Mr. Barber Barbershop in Radio City. In tonight's Campbell Playhouse production of Beau Jest, Orson Welles appeared in the title role. Laurence Olivier played the part of John Jest. Noah Beery played the same role he created for the screen, that of Lejeune. The parts of Bo, Digby, and John as children were played by Jackie Kelk, Edward Ryan, and Kingsley Colton, respectively. Naomi Campbell was Isabel, and Lady Brandon was played by Isabel Elsom. Ray Collins was Hank, Eustace Wyatt was the adjutant, Stefan Schnabel was Schwartz, and Howard Teichman was the corporal. Music for the Campbell Playhouse is arranged and conducted by Bernard Herman. And now, Mr. Wells, will you tell us about next week's production? Well, next week, next week, by way of contrast from these primitive passions... We're bringing you the famous Hecht and MacArthur comedy, 20th Century, in which the action takes place in a train between Chicago and New York. And joining me on this tumultuous journey will be Miss Elisa Landy of the screen and stage and Mr. Sam Levine returning for a second visit. Till then, until next Friday, until 20th Century, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us in the Campbell Playhouse remain obediently yours. <laughs> ¶¶ 
The makers of Campbell Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us at the Campbell Playhouse again next Friday evening when Elisa Landy and Sam Levine will appear with him in Hector MacArthur's famous comedy, 20th Century. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed tonight's Campbell Playhouse presentation, won't you tell your grocer so tomorrow when you order Campbell's chicken soup? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, Ernest Chappell selling chicken soup there is quite different from Ernest Chappell uh, and the Quiet Please horror shows that he did a few years later. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Lots of plugs for chicken soup on that one. Boy, everybody likes chicken. Okay, um, if you like uh, that story and you like crazy comedy, you might want to check out the Laurel and Hardy version of it. Instead of Bo Jest, they call it Bo Hunks. And it's a 35, 40-minute short, one of their longer short films, and quite amusing. So check that out if you can. Find Laurel and Hardy in Bo Hunks. So in the meantime, check out the Facebook page, Good Old Days of Radio Show. Check out the website, goodolddaysofradio.com. Instagram, we have that. I don't know. We show a picture of a radio on there or something. Anyway, whatever we do. And uh, tell all your friends, keep the show growing, and any questions, write on Facebook or write somewhere, and I'll answer them if I can. Until next time, this is John Tefteller saying goodbye.